They were very passionate about marriage. We've been married 40 years. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you. Married a Minnesota country girl, <laughs> the best kind, one of six with the gift of service. Um, and the first slide we want to show you is that marriage is one of God's very best ideas. It's great mm-hmm. to celebrate God and his creative genius. We give God glory for the idea of marriage. God made us a certain way. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Any men here want to say amen to that? It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, we don't want to miss something that's significant, perhaps obvious, that God's idea of marriage and family was a central part of his creation vision from the very beginning. His concept of marriage continues to inform human culture around the world to this very day in remarkable ways. Jeannie, what do you say to someone who asks you if you're high on marriage? Oh, I'm super high on marriage, obviously because it's God's plan, but also because of what it's done in my life. Not only the fun and the joy of being married, but also God has used you so much to inform who I am as a woman of God. It's taught me so much about God's grace, God's love, patience with one another. It just is so informing. So we see in this verse 18 that God made us as social beings. We're incurably social. We need each other. It's crystal clear. God made us for relationships. Yes, we are created for a love relationship with God and a love relationship with each other. And when we do relationships right, then life goes better for everyone. Now, marriage is not like any other relationship. It was designed by God to be a relationship between a man and a woman in which something very mystical and marvelous takes place. The wonder of marriage is in the mystery and the experience of oneness. Genesis 2, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, interesting language, united to his wife, and these two, they shall become, what's it say? One flesh. What shall they become? I want you to interact with this. They'll become what? One flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In other words, they really enjoyed being naked together. In God's design, it's all about two distinct individuals joining together with a lifetime commitment of soul partnership with a view of becoming one. Oneness, the merging of two into one, a total joining together of everything. This speaks of intimacy, vulnerability, interdependence, and the sharing of everything. And then the stakes get higher, for in physical oneness, procreation has a way of taking place, and kids have a way of showing up, and they don't come with instruction manuals, and not even Google has the answers. Now, does all this marriage stuff, this challenge to be married For a lifetime to one person, is it a little bit frightening, Jeannie? Well, 40 plus years ago when we were engaged and I was dreamy-eyed and excited, it wasn't scary at all. I thought it was going to be great. But after we had our first marital spat on our honeymoon, it did did get scary. And when we got into the real nitty-gritty of what marriage means, it, it was scary to figure out how to make it work. I had just finished seminary, and we were arguing over 
Predestination. <laughs> and I was telling her she was predestined to be married to me, and she said it was her free will. <laughs> now, many people suffer, let's, let's analyze our culture, from commitment phobia, which plays into, check this out, our live together first and maybe someday we'll get married. married. It used to be when you meet couples, you ask them, are you married? And now it's like, I don't know how to, that's not the, the best, because the answer was yes. Now it's like, no, very likely the answer is we're living together. And then, because I marry couples for a living, by the way. So then, um, so do you plan to get married anytime soon? Well, we're thinking about it. Commitment phobia. Unless two people, though, jump into the deep end by faith, we can't experience oneness the way God intended In order to experience oneness and to grow our love in marriage, the need is for ongoing infusions of grace with one another. There are many reasons we need constant infusions of God's grace in marriage, but one is most obvious. Every marriage, two imperfect people marry each other. So I want every imperfect person here. If you know you're imperfect, I want you to raise your hand. So you're in the fellowship of him. So we just proved it. The only type of person available, if you're single tonight, will be an imperfect person for you. And when you meet that person, they'll be imperfect as well, meaning we need God's grace. Think about it. Marriage is about two people who have not yet arrived and who don't have their act fully together, partnering and becoming one so they can do better together than going at it alone. But it's not always easy to be married to a person who has issues. And we all have issues, amen? amen? We all have issues. We solve one issue and what happens? Another, Another one pops one. up. You see, we marry a package. What's a package? A person with amazing strengths and some not so amazing weaknesses. How do we learn to dance? A major theme in our understanding of marriage, to dance well together, given the reality that we are packages that are very different from each other. So for married couples... Are those thinking about getting married? How many of you are thinking about getting married? Living together and maybe someday, all right? A great exercise, create a list of real differences, ways you're opposite from each other and talk through the list and it become very clear why grace is so important. Because our differences can either divide us or bring us together. I make a helper suitable to him. That means the helper God designed was gonna be very different than him. The Hebrew idea is corresponding to him. It's like two pieces of a puzzle, both different shapes and sizes, but when they fit together, they connect with a strong union. A good wife has a particular way of helping her man that no one else can. In our marriage, Jeannie realized if I dress myself, I embarrassed the family. (laughs) So because she's a Minnesota country girl, guess who lays out my clothes every morning? Um. Hard to find one like that, guys. In the marriage dance, by God's grace, our differences will work for us, check this out, and not against us. They can work for us and not against us. So just how different are we? We've created a list. We're going to help you get to know us because we're just real people. Um, So how are we different, Jeannie? And this list is far from complete, but it's a little taste. I'm a morning person. I'm a night person. I get going at night. I mean, show me ESPN late night. I'm happy. I like to eat fish. 
I'm into red meat. Sometimes Ugh. we don't know where to go out to eat. What do you want? You know, they I don't, don't sometimes cook. always serve both. A hamburger joint does not serve fish. And I think the best way to do life is to have a place for everything and everything in its place. Ouch. I'm into piles. You make a mess, you put in a pile, you deal with it later. And because I need things to be neat, I like to take care of those piles by throwing them away. We don't have to keep cleaning. No, 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 no. You got to keep it because someday you might need it. May not be able to find it, but you may need it. (laughs) I am a very slow, methodical person. I'm quick. Let's get it done. Let's go. The early bird gets the worm. But it doesn't work because we have to do it right. Do it right? Just do it. I'm an extreme introvert. What does that mean? That means this is really hard for me to be sitting up here talking to you I'm having the time of my life. I'm an extrovert. I like to listen. And I like to talk. That works good together. Um, If I have a chance to talk and to tell you what's going on in my life, I like to tell the whole story and give the details so that you can understand. I can't believe you want to tell the whole story. Just get to the bottom line. I'm pretty factual, and for example, if we go shopping, I have my list, and I want to get the list done and get out of there, and that's kind of how life works, right? Do it by the list and get things done. No, Check the, it the off. the list is boring. It puts you in a straitjacket. You gotta, you gotta explore and be creative. Get out of the list. Get to your wants, not just your needs. I grew up with a dad who said, if you're not early, you're late. And that is very deep in me. I need to be early on time. Oh, my, if I get early, I just sit around and say, where are all the people? I'm wasting my time. I could be doing so many other things. I like to get there just in the nick of time. And that causes a lot of stress at the airport. I am a very planned person. I like to have things set out and know exactly what's happening. I'm into spontaneity and options. The more options, the better, because you can kind of decide the last minute to shift course. Okay, we could get into a fight here. How about let's switch to, um, if I have a chance to read a book, I love to read novels, especially historical novels. I'm into nonfiction. I just want to understand truth. Okay, how about this? I like sex. I like more sex. (laughs) Okay, I have very short legs. I have long legs, and you just so always behind me. I said, I feel bad. I'm ahead of you. Come on, faster. <laughs> Slow down. If we get a chance to go to a jazz game, I like to sit in the lower bowl so I can really see and no, try to understand. Those are the expensive seats. I want the upper bowl. It's a big screen, and I can afford nachos. Okay. I have very sensitive gums, so I have to use Sensodyne toothpaste. Sensodyne? Who, who uses Sensodyne? Okay. Crest. <laughs> Crest or bust? Um, okay, I try really hard in life to be healthy. And so white bread is just not good for you. And I like the really heavy, whole wheat, heavy grain bread. I'm going to eat yeah, bread. but I Let grew up something. peanut butter and jelly on soft bread is one of the joys of life. Oh, joy of life is a good glass of wine. I think it's fizzy water, no calories, gets you a little sense of fizz, and is less expensive. So differences, some of you are married. Are they dividing you or are they pulling you together? How do we do Costco to make it work? Our differences really work well at Costco because we often take two different carts. 
And I have my list, and I go to where we need things, and Scott can wander up and down the aisles and see what he can find. And then we meet at the checkout. Yeah. And the beautiful thing there is uh, it works, except it's very expensive for us to go to Costco. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> how about how we travel together? Uh, well, we really use our, our gifts there. Scott does all the planning and ticketing and tells me where we're going, and I pack the suitcases. You're a good packer. And you're a good planner. Yeah. So, work together, divide. God's design is they can complement each other. And there's a famous nursery rhyme that should have been in the Bible. It's so apropos. What's it say? Jack Spratt could eat no fat. His wife could eat no lean. And so between the two of them, they licked the platter clean. Yes! In order to experience oneness and to grow our love in marriage, the need is for ongoing infusions of God's grace. What is marriage grace? Grace is giving to our spouse those gifts that enrich the union and nurture the love on both the good and bad days of marriage. Marriage grace understands that the primary motivation to get married is to truly learn to love our spouse and to grow that love over a lifetime. Lovers are givers. Lovers are grace givers. You see, the key to a great marriage is for partners to experience a selfishness inversion. How many of you enjoy the winter inversions in Salt Lake City? No one. How many of you enjoy being married to a selfish partner? I don't know what's worse. What we need is a selfishness, that is turning our selfishness on its head and letting love move to the top and win. In your marriage, kick selfishness out of the marriage and you'll begin to fly. Love always involves giving gifts to each other. And when we do give gifts, the relationship stays alive and thrives. I'm just talking about material gifts. Marriage grace gives us a vision for those kind of gifts that make a marriage dance pleasant a high percentage of the time. If you're married or thinking about marriage, God's design is it's pleasant a high percentage of the time. So now I want to share five expressions of marriage grace that become wonderful gifts to each other. Five graces for a great marriage. Number one, are you ready? The grace of acceptance. Romans 15, 7 Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Acceptance in marriage is accepting our partner the way they are. Easier said than done. Jeannie, why do you think it's hard to give a guy like me unconditional acceptance just the way I am? Well, I think our list of differences kind of showed why it can be hard. Uh, The neat, orderly, everything in its place versus messy and piles is a prime example of we can get really mad at each other because I can't handle the mess. And if I put it away or throw it away, you get mad at me for getting rid of what's important to you. And we have a lot of other examples you know, early or late, who's going to win? How do we work out a compromise? It's, it's hard to just accept rather than trying to change okay, someone. 40 years in, do you accept that you married a guy with a messiness problem? Yes, I do. <sighs> do you accept that you married a woman who needs neatness? Yes. Thank and you. I'm starting to invest money on organizational systems for the home. It's only <laughs> taken me 40 years. 
If we're honest, there are things about our partner that we'd like to, shall we say, be improved, especially in an area of weakness or immaturity. It's, it's normal to feel that way. So marriage is not about taking our partner on as a personal project. Couples who think they can change their partner after they marry them are in for a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. Couples who accept each other, check this out. When we accept each other, we create the space necessary for growth to occur. Acceptance sends this implicit message. I'm behind you the way you are, and I know you're going to grow. In God's time, in God's way, you're going to grow. But right now, I'm behind you the way you are. Two laws of change in marriage. Number one, the harder you try to change your spouse, the more resistant they'll be to change. When we push in marriage, we push away. You see, when our motive is to change our partner, the marriage becomes pressurized. You know your marriage is struggling if you walk into your home and you are feeling pressure. No one wants their home to turn into a pressure cooker. Growth and pressure are not friends to each other. We don't grow well under pressure. Now, Jeannie, what have you seen in me when you have at times tried to change me, or at least I think you are trying to change me? Let's say my driving. Um. I have a bad habit of going, oh, oh, when Scott's driving, and I do it, and he gets really upset and stressed and defensive really fast. I learned to drive in Chicago. She learned to drive out in the country. It's a whole different sense of what's happening on the road. You see, most of us realize that there are things in our life that need improvement. Right? We just realized that the beauty of accepting each other is in the realization that even though I've not arrived, my partner will be patient and encouraging enough, which in turn creates the right soil for change to take place. Acceptance then leads to greater trust and more open, non-defensive communication. You see, the reality is, and our desire to change for the better, the question is, what can we then do as marriage partners to best facilitate each other's desire to grow. In reality, acceptance sets the stage for growth. For accepting someone is part of loving them well, and the best motive for change is not pressure, but love. And the best change agent in marriage is not the spouse, but the Holy Spirit. Jeannie, you want to expand on this? Well, it's taken me a lot of time, a lot of years to learn this, but God has shown me um, through life experience and my marriage and also through a really wonderful mentor that I've had, the importance of going to God first when I have complaints about my husband. I need to go to the Lord and hash it out and have him show me what's in me that needs to be changed first. Um, If we really believe that we married each other in order to serve each other and to be helpers to one another and to do life together in a, in a positive way, and we know that it doesn't help to cut each other down, I need to ask God, what do you want to change in me? How can you humble me to be the servant that you called me to be in my marriage? And then, Lord, show me if there's something that you want me to say about this issue that I'm having, or Lord, do you want to just take care of it yourself? And I trust you, you can do that. And God has has shown me through that, that as I ask him for 
should I talk to Scott or should I just let the Holy Spirit do it? When there are times God does say, talk to Scott. And I pray about, well, what am I supposed to say? Um, What's the right time? Lord, show me the right time and the right words. And one of the important things that I've learned, and this is, I mean, wives for husbands, but it's husbands for wives too, because we both get cut down really easily. But to be able to say, I got to tell you something because it would mean a lot to me if if you could listen to me and, and change this, or it would mean the world to me if you could take care of this and for every me. Every man wants to be a hero. When she says it would mean the world to me, it's the lights go on and the opportunity to be a hero gives strong motivation. It's not pressure, it's opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful language that we've learned to share. It means a lot to me. And then if she says it, it means the world to me, I know I better listen and go to God for grace also um, to respond in the right way. Now, the second law of change in marriage is the best way to affect change in your marriage. The only sure way is to change yourself for you and I to change. The simple adage, I want a more loving marriage. Well, the best way to get a more loving marriage is to become a more loving person. Every marriage has a chemistry. A chemistry is the interaction of two dynamics with each other. When one dynamic changes, the other by nature has to change. Couples in crisis, we've seen this over and over, and it's heartbreaking, and maybe you're in this place tonight. They make lists about ways their partner is letting them down. Couples who are doing well have both people focusing on their need before the Lord to grow and change. When we truly accept each other, then you see the soil for change is fertilized. First grace of a great marriage is the grace of accepting one another as Christ has accepted us. Secondly, it's the grace of positivity. Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. What is this grace of positivity? It's focusing on the best features of your partner. The interesting thing about your thought life and my thought life is, first of all, who's in charge of it? You are, right? I am. No one can think for you unless you let them. We're in charge of it, so we can choose to focus on what we want to focus on. We can focus on the best of our partner and not the worst. And which way we choose to focus makes all the difference. Along these lines, we are in charge of our interpretations of our partner's behaviors when they're not quite what we think they might be. Let's give our spouses the benefit of the doubt and choose loving interpretations so challenging but oh so good. Like, Jeannie, what do you think when I occasionally forget to take the garbage out? Well, like Scott said, we're in charge of what we're thinking about, right? And we also experience that what we're thinking affects our emotions a lot. And then our emotions continue to affect our thinking. So it's a a snowball and we get to direct where the snowball goes. So on a bad day, I can think you are such a jerk. 
you slept in too late. You knew I needed help, and you but rushed out. I'm a night out. person. You know I'm a night person. I know, but if you care about me, you would get up in time to take out the garbage. And so my mind then goes to, and he also forgot to do this, and he never does that. And, and that snowball just gets rolling down the hill in such a terrible way that by the time you get home from work, I can explode at you for things that are in my head that you know nothing about. But I can also go the other way and realize that, man, he had a lot on his mind when he went out the door. He's got a huge day. And I actually have the privilege of praying for my husband and the the day that's ahead of him and all the stressful things that are going on in his life. And I can start praying for him. And I can also say, and I, you know, if, if I'm in a bad place in my mind, I have to ask God, help me. Holy Spirit, help me to think of what I have to be thankful for. And the Holy Spirit helps me to start thinking about all the ways that you do show me your love and all the little things that you do for me that add up to be really big things. And as I become thankful for the ways that my husband is showing love to me, rather than going down the negative hill and, and praying for the stuff going on in his life through the day, then you come home and I'm really happy to see you. And it's a good evening instead of an argument evening. Well, focus on the positive. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of positive. It's, it's a sad part for human condition that we, by nature, have a tendency to focus on the negative. There's far more positive than negative. Now, Jeannie, I've told her this. This is a little bit emotional. But to me, you are the most beautiful woman in the world. And that's because God has given me eyes for you, and you've loved me so well that I've been transformed by your love, and your love comes out of you, and I, I see it all coming out of your being, making you, as it comes out with the Jesus glow, the most beautiful woman in the world. Now, saying that, over time, you've gained a few scars on your body. Cancer surgery, eight years ago. Stomach surgery, year and a half ago. And so here's the truth, friends. I don't see these scars on Jeannie's body. You say, Scott, now you're kidding me. Now you're being a, you're exaggerating as a pastor. I'm going to say it again. I don't see the scars on Jeannie's body because I am so overcome by all of her beauty. Why would I spend my time trying to find a scar? When we focus on each other's positive attributes, our appreciation for each other grows and grows. We're lifted up. When we focus on our partner's best virtues, it flows into the third marriage grace. Are you ready? Acceptance, positivity, and words. Not any kind of words, but graceful words. Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. The grace of words in marriage is selecting words. We select words that build up and not tear down. Now, the tail of the tape in any marriage, if you do marriage counseling, is in reality the content and nature of the words exchanged. In marital conversations, you can quickly figure out if the couple is healthy and doing well or unhealthy and on a path of destruction. How we talk to each other and about each other truly makes or breaks the marriage. Earlier, we talked about oneness, including vulnerability. 
In marriage, the words we share are also vulnerable. They are up close and personal. They can do great blessing or great harm. Couples who love being married to each other use words that build each other up. Jeannie, when you say to me that I'm your man among men, you build me up. When you say we're on a hike, she says, I'm going to follow my fearless leader. Now, I don't tell her that I'm very afraid of the moose, <laughs> but okay, follow your fearless leader and bite my team. So be fearless. God build, she builds me up. That, that's building a man's masculinity to speak that kind of language. And every man needs his masculinity built up mm-hmm. by a beautiful, good woman, his wife. And when you tell me that I'm the most beautiful woman in the world, it builds me up and it means the world to me. Do you believe Thank that? You. I do from you. Now, the enemy of every marriage is Satan. He loves to get couples to use words to tear down and ultimately destroy the fiber of love. Every marriage that falls apart, if you look closely, you'll find evidence of a tearing into each other. This is related to our brokenness as people. The more we're hurting, the more we are apt to hurt others. Without grace, we will spill out on others in ways that are embarrassing. Let's call out this truth. Tearing someone down is a cheap way to lifting up oneself. Can I say it again? Tearing your partner down is a cheap way to lift up yourself. No one wants to be married to a put-down artist. We must guard our tongue in marriage. This is where oneness, understanding of marriage is so helpful. You see, if I tear Jeannie down and we're one, have I just teared her down? No, if I tear you down, I have torn us down. Is that right? When one partner puts down the other, both fall. When one partner builds up the other, both rise. One of the best things we can do with words is let others know about our partner's virtues. We go public with our positivity in language in front of others. You know, the the virtuous woman passage in Proverbs 31 It gets all excited about this woman who's let God transform her into a beautiful, virtuous wife. And it says the man who marries such a wife that he will praise her. He will speak well of her in the gates with the leaders of the city. And what it doesn't say is the leaders of the city will be envious of him that he's married to such a virtuous woman because it's the best gift of life if God would choose to give us it. How we speak about our partners in public is so important. It should deeply sadden us whenever we hear someone speaking poorly of their partner in public. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. How many of you know of this quote from Shakespeare? Well, it's not from Shakespeare. It's actually from Elizabeth Baring Browning. But anyway, Jeannie, so many reasons why I love you. You have the gift of giving yourself fully to those you're present with, including our grandkids. I got about 10 minutes and I need a break. You can love them for hours on end. Jeannie, you're fully present with who you're present with. You give them your undivided, focused attention. You listen so well. You share wisdom in your speech. You want me to do well. You've adapted to my uniqueness and my quirkiness. You take care of yourself and you serve with me. These are just some of the ways that I can count are wonderful reasons that you're easy to love. And you're easy to love because you talk to me. I don't have to wonder what you're thinking like I hear so many wives do. You have such a genuine care and love for people. You take time. You look them in the eye. You want to get to know them, and it's from your heart. 
You show people love by feeding them. And you get such joy in watching people enjoy the food that you serve them. I just love that about you. You keep your promises. You're a very trustworthy person. I can trust you, and I know everyone else can. You're so creative. Life is never boring with you. And I think what I love the most is that I can trust my heart with you because you protect my heart. See, the grace of words is so beneficial. It is so enjoyable. Life is too short. Can we just say it? Life is too short to spend our time tearing each other down. Let's build each other up. Here's what's true about every marriage. There will be times when we hurt each other. This can often be unintentional, but hurts occur. There can be common at times. Marriage dance partners will at times step on each other's feet. They're toes. That's why this grace of forgiveness that we're now going to talk about is so important. Because if you have the grace of forgiveness in your marriage, you can get through the tough stuff. And without it, this tough stuff will break it apart. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness. By the way, who wants to be married to this kind of person? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, when we hurt each other, we know two things can happen. Number one, we can forgive each other, learn from the hurt that has happened, and then actually strengthen our love for getting through the tender hurt and difficulty towards reconciliation, and it's always fun to make up. Or we can become resentful, grudgeful, and begin withholding. I see that a pattern of withholding in a marriage is a clear indication that the marriage is in crisis and behind withholding is a failure to forgive. The grace of forgiveness starts by being real with each other and sharing any hurts that occur. Jeannie, if I step on your toe in our marriage dance, I need to know it because sometimes I didn't even realize I stepped on your toe. I was too into my incredible, wonderful moves. And then it moves on to being willing to understand the hurt, to say, I'm sorry. Can we say that together? Let's just say the words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Again, I'm I'm sorry. sorry. We got to learn to say these words because sometimes we hurt the very person we love the most and we exchange forgiveness with each other freely and often. When we got more real on this, I would express to Jeannie words like this. Jeannie, I don't want to hurt you, but I know at times I will. I want you to always tell me when I do. I'm giving you permission. Tell me when I hurt you. Don't hold it in. Don't stuff it because I want to understand. What did I say? What did I do that caused the hurt? So I can let you know I'm sorry. Find ways to not do it again. I love you and I want to understand what hurts and why it happens so it doesn't readily happen again. Now, at times we need to share some things with our partner that may feel difficult For them to hear, because we want to be authentic in our marriage. We need to share at this level, but this needs to happen. We need to find ways to to bring the message across without creating unnecessary further hurt. It has helped me to learn to to talk in a 
in a way that's really gentle and not um, demeaning and not accusing. And as I said before, it's really important to talk to the Lord first and hash it out and ask him, should I talk about this? And when should I? And what are the words that I should use? But to be gentle and to say, I need to tell you something that is hard for me to say and maybe hard for you to hear. Okay. But I want to tell you because I know your heart. And I know that this is something that you would want to change if you understood what's happening to me when you act this way. And again, you know, showing our love for each other and, and saying, I know your heart because we do know each other's heart. And we know, I know that if, if Scott has said something that hurts me, he wouldn't want to do it. So he wants to know, like he said, and the same with me. So it's just so important to be gentle, but to be honest in the right time and with the words that God gives. And that gentleness, and I gave permission. That, mm-hmm. So now I can't say, strike back. I gave her permission. It's huge. Giving each other permission to be more real in the relationship. Every relationship comes with that crossroads. Are we going to get more real? Are we going to get more authentic? Are we going to really roll up our sleeves and have an authentic marriage? Or are we going to play charades? We need God's grace. Many times in the stress of life, finally, we lose a simple vision for the final grace we want to share with you this evening. And we call it the grace of kindness, finding specific ways to simply be kind to each other. It's one of the best things about marriage that can bring great satisfaction. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 defines love. And we all know the passage, love is patient, love is kind. Colossians 4, 32, be kind to one another. Kindness in marriage involves serving our partner in love and doing the little things, the little things that build on the love that is present. Some of the things, Jeannie, you do for me that are expressions of kindness include, you've learned to make incredible smoothies. I mean, amazing smoothie. Starting your day with a Jeannie smoothie is a great way to start the day. You encourage me to get off the couch and walk with you, and I'm rather just sit like a blob. You set out my clothes in the morning. I already shared that. I look good. You always listen when I need to talk. You always listen. And you help me find my cell phone when I lose it. Scott, you're kind to me when you put on my snow tires on my car before the snow starts every fall. That just means the world to me. You show kindness to me when you pour a glass of wine for me in the evening. You show kindness to me in the way that you take care of our finances and you don't expect anything of me in bookkeeping and working with that. Um, You show kindness to me when you work as a team, when we have people over for dinner, because the food is so important to you and you don't leave it on me. You you work with me to serve people. Um, When you get off the couch and go for a walk with me, when I ask you to, that means the world to me. That's kindness. You are very kind to me when you check with me before setting up a golf game. You just always check my schedule. Thanks for saying yes almost every time. That's great. If you started saying no, I don't know if I would always check. (laughs) (laughs) So how in the world, let's be honest, can you and I expect to have a great marriage without the grace of God? Jean and I just went on a cruise. Got an extra day due to the hurricane. It's really cool. Can't get you back in time. You get an extra day. Pretty sweet. But on the boat, there was a couple, elderly, who were 
And she could only get around slowly and with a walker. She'd had some brain stroke kind of thing. She was not the gal she once was. And I asked them about their marriage and how their challenges were affecting their marriage. And you could tell they were loving each other as much today as in any day in the past. I saw how much he served her and delighted in her. He did not see her handicap. He saw the beauty of her person and he served her and he slowed down for her. And I saw how much his patient service made her a woman of joy and love. They were not down on life. They were up on love because the grace of God was going back and forth. It's a volley of love. They revealed yet another picture of why marriage is one of God's very best ideas and how when we bring his love and grace into it, the sky is the limit. So here's what we covered today by review. Is We have a slide for the um, review. Grace of, let's just read these together. We read them with me. The grace of acceptance, positivity, words, forgiveness, and kindness. Evaluate if you're married, how are you doing in each of these graces? And then which grace is God asking us to better understand and apply in our marriage at this time? It's a beautiful thing to experience the grace of God. I've experienced it with you. That's why we wanted to come and share because it's real. We don't have a perfect marriage. We're still in process. We're two imperfect people. We're packages, but we're learning to love each other more and more and we're in it together. So I close with a quote that I wanted to share with Jeannie and then to all of you. Who won in life? Who's the winner? It's me because I got to marry you. Chip Gaines, shall we pray? Let the worship team come up. Oh, Lord, marriage is such a beautiful idea. When you created the world, somehow from your heart, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you wove the whole idea of male and female and attraction and love and procreation and family into the very fiber of reality. And Lord, now we humble ourselves before you because as wonderful as marriage is, we confess that sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we let selfishness win. Sometimes we use words that we regret ever saying or do things that are hard to take back. Oh, the grace of forgiveness. Oh, the grace of kindness. Oh, the grace of positivity, the grace of words, the grace of acceptance. Lord, we just come before you, married or single, and ask you to pour your grace into our hearts that we could be people who are full of grace and overflowing with it so we can share it with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.